Hey, Dan. Yeah. Do you remember how back in November we had a writing podcast? I do recall. What do you say you you join me and and maybe and maybe we can we can dive back into that? Yeah. I, I think that sounds like a great idea. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Is that supposed to be the... That's me doing the typewriter. Cool. I don't know. I'll underlay it. Um, don't I'll... worry. It'll be there. I think it'll just be like me, just off key, off my rocker, all of it. Off color, well, off kilter. Yeah. All right. So, Dan, are you mourning 2017? Um, Let's talk about mourning in a really natural and organic way. I think I'm, I'm always mourning something whether it's the loss of my perfect physique or the death of a loved one or a celebrity or the end of a friendship or having finished um, a TV show and there's no more of that TV show. Good place is ending for the season I know. on Thursday, which I'm, I'm having a real hard time with. But, but, but it's already renewed for a third season. So rejoice. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I'm super stoked about its future. It's amazing. And they really did a great job with season two. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm still mourning not having it. Hold me closer, Tiny Denson. Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm mourning so much. Uh, particularly the death of, of Ursula Le Guin who had a quote that I had in an email that just just disappeared on me. Um, she said, nobody who says I told you so has ever been or will ever be a hero, which I feel like that's something to think about. Yeah. The next time you want to say I told you so, remember that Ursula K. Le Guin is looking down on you from the infinite void where she has ceased to be and saying, dick move, dude. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? And then, and then think about how cool she was. And she had a brief mention in the classic film, Jane Austen Book Club. Jane Austen Bark Club? Oh, you slay me, Daniel. <laughs> no, that would be manslaughter. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you'd be mourning me. So, like... We're grieving a lot. We're grieving 2017. 2018's not doing much better right now. I'm grieving all my New Year's resolutions and how <laughs> I've done some of them, but like half-assedly and like I'm really behind on a lot of them. You're doing so much better. I'm really, really proud of you. Stop it. Stop it right now. I, I got my panda planner and I got it to be bright orange because I have so many black things in my house that I was like, it's just going to meld, meld, meld. It's going to mesh into them. It's going to like become one with something. They're going to fuse. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's good stuff. Um, so, but I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm mourning all those resolutions cause they're, they're like really not coming to pass. I'm doing them very slowly. But I'm also I'm I'm mourning I'm mourning two of my dogs who passed away in close succession and so yeah I've been really really sad and I can only talk about it by using a weird voice so that I don't cry. <laughs> I think yeah. um, have I ever talked to you about the uh, the phenomenon of smile tears? No. So it happens in movies a lot. But well, in good movies, but you'll also notice it in your real life that when you have to say something really painful or really hurtful and you're on the verge of tears, people tend to actually smile as they deliver it. Yeah, no, that's totally true. It's uh, I don't Dan, know. I want to end this podcast. <laughs> we don't have to do this ever again. <laughs> okay, I want to cut I don't you know out of my life. Become. Oh God! <laughs> I would grieve our friendship if it was over. That'd I'd be, be really sad if you just like oh if you God. left my life and just. Can you imagine if we were just like woke up tomorrow and just were like, no, nah, let's not be friends. We're done. We're done now. Well, I, I don't think it would be a mutual decision. No, 
as similar as we are, I, I, I don't think that would be. I, we would have to, uh, I don't know, try to systematically destroy one another or some something catastrophic would have to happen that the other inflicted. So it's just, uh, you're stuck with me, chum. Well, I do know where your kill switch is. <gasps> you never should have given me that information. It's true. I shouldn't have given anyone that information. God, I was so drunk. Sounds like senior year. <laughs> it's only senior uh, year if you graduate. Otherwise, it's just the fourth year of wasting money. There you go. Yep. I was, uh, this weekend, I was sort of given a lot of understanding of, well, it was a it was a weird sort of comparison of my close friends where I feel like I have like, not to be a dick, but I feel like I have like four really close friends that have been th- with me for a long period of time um, or a shorter period of time, but have entrenched themselves so much into my life that it feels like I've known them forever, Maya. Um, but they are all kind of similar in certain things. And several of them did not finish college, which is an interesting thing. Like I didn't realize or went to like arts college so didn't go to college (laughs) um but yeah so i was it was it was a very interesting comparison of there were certain things that an onlooker was comparing because my very good friend caitlin who has been my very good friend since high school came to visit me for like a long weekend and they were comparing you to uh, you, you and Caitlin, and and uh, and Maya and Caitlin, and then Eric and Caitlin, and it was just, it was a very, it was interesting to see how things branched off. And I have friends who have met like Caitlin and one of my other friends, or you know that kind of thing. It was just a very interesting thing because I don't see you guys as a solid entity, but there are certain key elements and themes to the friendships I have with each of you. That one of which being this overall acceptance, like a, hey man, if you're happy, I am happy for you, whatever you do. And I think it's a, it's a mutual, just, we just want you to be happy. Well, let's not pretend that it, it, it wasn't difficult for me to accept your, your lifestyle as a, uh, a person who moved to Texas. Like that was hard for me. You know, you're, you're now a Texan. And, uh, you know, I wrestled with it. I talked to some other people who were Texans and had to come out to their families as Texans and just hear how they dealt with it and what the ramifications were and what their lives are like and what kind of discrimination they deal with as Texans. Um, so it was a process. I don't you know, really I'm feel not like I, I, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I'm so sorry my life choices have affected you so much. They really have. And that the, I wish you would think about that, other and, people. <laughs> Yeah, I really should think about other people. Yep, because if there's one thing decisions. you don't do enough, it's think about other people. It's true. I'm an asshole. Um, <laughs> I don't really. I don't think I really consider myself a Texan. Like I don't. Th- I don't know if I identify as Texan. Oh, it's a spectrum. There's fifty fifty slots on that spectrum. But I've also never really identified as a Montanan, and considering I lived in Montana for. At this point, a majority of my life. Uh, but I never thought of myself as a Montanan either. Hmm. But I'm not a Seattleite. I like that you said that and not Washingtonian. I just, I didn't think I could say it. And I've already, you know, slipped up a lot on my verbiage today. So I'm trying to think like where I would, where, if I'm going to pigeonhole myself, where I would pigeonhole myself. I think you're I a think New Californian. No, I think Californian. Um, not because I have ever lived in California, which I mean, yeah, duh, guys, I'm an idiot. Like that, that, that's my first. But because um, a majority of my childhood memories were in California. That's where my dad's from. That's where a large portion of my family lives or is from. And that's where like all my childhood memories, family reunions, things like that. That's. They all kind of were there. So I kind of think I, I, I relate. Not like SoCal, like Bay Area Californian. Hmm. I also talk like a Californian. 
That's true. You do talk about the highways a lot. I know. I was told the other day that me calling things the 30, the 75 is not Texas. And, but I, re- I relate to roads that way. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just getting off the 30. And I guess they don't do that. They say, I'm getting off 30. I'm like, that seems confusing. Put, put the article in. We need the article. You can't run the paper if you don't have that article. Yeah, no, I agree. Ah, fucking Fitbits. So in this quest of, uh, not quest, this observation of friendships and, and overlaps, and obviously it's coming up due to the, the mourning process, um, what, uh, what have you taken away in recent weeks about the people in your life and the person you are as a creative entity, as a writer, as an artist, where is the overlap between these relationships when they end, when you mourn them, and when they're alive and well, when they're being celebrated? What does that do to your work? How does that inform you as an artist? What do the people, animals, relationships in your life in your life, I said that like Tommy Wiseau. Um, in your life, hi Mark. Um, hi Mark. Hi Mark. Um, I did not hit her. I did not. I did not hit her. I. Uh, how how topical? Yeah, right. Snubbed, you mean? Um, <laughs> I'm okay with him not getting a nomination. I'm okay with him not getting alive anymore. I, just wha- I don't know if you saw that, but I whacked the headphone off my head. I was so emphatic about my feelings about James Franco. Yeah, you were being very Franco about it. To be Franco about this. So that <laughs> question was Franco. really... Um, uh, that question was a lot. And so let me meander around and sort of gradually get to a point. May I? Meander away. Um. The first thing, I'm not really sure if this was part of the question. <laughs> so it was a lot. Um, let me look back in my in my stenographer's notes. Uh, I definitely think when I mourn and when I am sad, I am a better writer. I think out of sadness, a lot more comes. I, I think I just, my emotions are a lot stronger when I am sad. Like when I'm happy, I'm, I'm happy. And I kind of am... I'm much more present in that, in the action of being me, being with people that make me happy. But when I'm sad, I'm very, I'm less in the moment and more in the feeling to the point that it gets overwhelming at times, uh, anxiety attacks and whatnot. But a form of like kind of meditation to, or I guess you could say, like writing it all down is sort of a form of meditation for me. And I do feel like that, is a big part of the grieving process for me is actually saying out loud like what scares me what is hard for me what is easy for me what I'm thinking and like it's not always writing it sometimes it's just like texting it to someone things like that but I've also noticed I am a lot more internal about my feelings when I am sad or when I grieve or like just like the general mourning process I'm a lot quieter and I kind of extricate myself from social dynamics or it's just sort of hard for me, honestly, to be involved in a conversation as a full party. And it sucks because I don't want to be that person that's so involved in my own pain that I don't recognize what's around me. But I think it's also that I, a majority of the time when I'm happy, try and focus on how to make other people's lives not better, but take a little weight off of them. Well, I think I, I think that your relationships with people um, are really championed when when you're in a good place. I think you make a concerted effort to tell people, um, either with your work, when you write a poem about somebody or feature them as a character in something, or just with words of affirmation. And so the same goes when you're mourning. It is 
to some extent about the relationship with that which you are mourning or that which you are celebrating. And I think you do a really good job of focusing that which could not otherwise come out, be that positive or negative, taking what makes you happy and and celebrating it and taking that which makes you sad and honoring it to an extent. I think it it's a form of self-therapy, but it's also probably the most honest expression that uh, you can get out because there's no recipient. There's no other person to give the bad feelings to or to give the sorrow to when you're like that. You can only give it to the art. And that yields a very interesting and dynamic creative process. Yeah. No, I like how you make me sound like I'm a better person than I am. (laughs) Um, If we're not here to inflate each other's egos, I don't know why we're doing this. Oh, God. Because we love the sounds of our voices. That's not true. I love my voice. It sounds so great. I do, too. So, how Uh, have you been coping with your recent losses through art? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. I'm in a lodge with Dale Cooper. Oh, why Dale Cooper? The the owls are not what they seem. Sorry, enough Twin Peaks references. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) That was, that got weird. It got really weird, but I liked it. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I think... It's very interesting for me. I hold on to dear life with my relationships a lot of times. Uh, Like to the point that it's just like almost like beating a dead horse. That dead horse knows what it did. (laughs) Right. It does. It dressaged like a champion. Wow. Conversational use of the word dressage. Excellent. You know, not my first time using the term dressage this week. There we go. But (laughs) I'm in Texas now. Everyone has a horse. So I think it's really hard for me to let go and then to acknowledge that something is over and to mourn it when someone has not passed away, like when someone is still sort of in this periphery. Because unfortunately, in this day and age, people don't just disappear from your life. There's LinkedIn, there's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's Tumblr, there's Instagram, there's lots of, I'm sure, weird, creepy internet sites where you can find out people's information. I like that you led with LinkedIn. (laughs) That (laughs) son of a a bitch updating his resume like nothing (laughs) happened. You want to connect with me here? I'm really glad you got a promotion on your third anniversary at your law firm. That's great. Yeah, good for you. I'm glad that came with a title change in a new office. Fucking asshole. You've moved from San Francisco to Oakland. Whoop-de-doo. That sounds like a step backwards. No, more residential, you know. Yeah, that's fair. What are they, raising kids? Uh... Clearly, everyone's raising kids, Dan, except for us. Woohoo! Uh, there's a there is a dark part of me that hopes I'm sterile. <laughs> uh, no comment. Um, I will love your future children so much, so much. Someone's I will get them gonna all have the to. shit. <laughs> you know it's gonna be me. I'm a turtle as fuck. Oh, she's so maternal. Well, my my friend Caitlin, when she came to visit, she was just like, "You are, you are like a, a crazy maternal person," because like I was taking care of her too, and she's like, "You just you don't stop taking care of things." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, yeah," um, which I think was actually probably part of losing both my 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 boys my my dogs in like a month was hard in a way because well when one passed away the other was still terminally ill so it was this distraction and then when he passed away I realized like at night I would spend an hour and a half like doing medications and taking care of like the things he needed and so now I just sort of sit and like don't do anything and I don't know what to do 
And so, uh, and it's, it's very hard because, and I think that's what is hard for me about mourning, you know, death and friendships and all these different things is for me, I'm so used to like that check-in text or giving medication or, you know, doing something that is necessary or in my opinion, helpful to that relationship, whatever it may be. And I think in mourning for me, it's the absence and not knowing what to do in that situation because I kind of always have thought I've had my life together in a way that I know how to, I know how to communicate. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. And so there's times where like I'll want to text someone. I'm just like, this is, this is really hard not being able to text that person. Like I have this story or you know, with Milo, I, I reach for him a lot at night because when he was getting sick, I would always reach for him and like make sure, you know, his breathing was good and readjust if he, his breathing wasn't good. And with Floyd, I realized because he would go to bed early because he was so old, um, I'm really quiet and keep the lights off in my bathroom after 10 o'clock because I, I wouldn't want to wake him up. And so if I'm brushing my teeth, I'm like really quiet still because the routine of it, I forget. And so it's hard. And there's this like weird line of of still wanting to do it as a as a an honor to them, like honoring, you know, what they were in my life and in my routine and in my heart. And then there's a part that's, you know, that's hard in the way of I I have to know that that's over. And so and I think creatively I can share that and not feel like it's weird. But I also have noticed like for me, I kind of need to be alone in that because it's sort of like when you put an opinion in someone's relationship, you don't know. The only people that understand uh, like a relationship, whether it be platonic or romantic, is are the two people that are in that relationship. And so it's not fair to place opinion or judgment or understanding of it because you don't understand. Like I don't know, like I respect and love you and Courtney and your marriage, but I don't know a thing about like what it is to be in that marriage but I will support it. It makes you both happy. And so like, that's what I can do. Just as, you know, I think you feel bad about my situation right now because you know how much I loved Floyd and Milo, but you also don't know that feeling. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a very human tendency to equate everyone's relationship or everyone's loss to your own. And some of that comes from a good place and is a helpful advice thing. But also, like, I'm not going to start sharing when my dog died stories with you. Um, Because A, yours is extremely fresh and mine is not. And B, it doesn't matter. If you're looking for counsel or advice or something like that, like I think this this comes back to the art where it's personal reflection and personal expression of your pain is the closest we can get to understanding it. Like if you wrote a poem or you painted a picture or you created a movie about what you're going through, that'd be the closest we can all get to how you're perceiving it. But I don't think that, like, I, it it, extend, it extends into all human interaction. Like, oh, I got food poisoning. Oh, well, did you have this thing to eat? Because that always gives me food poisoning. Well, no, we're different people. And I, I, I can see why you would draw that parallel. Um, let me talk about me for a while while you're in pain. Yeah, and I, I, I get it. I, I Part of it is a genuine attempt to communicate and to be empathetic. And I think it's also, again, a human survival thing. Oh, you're going through something? I went through something similar. Our shared combined knowledge can better us as a species to be more prepared for that event or that thing. It's how we have done what we've done. But I think especially when it comes to grief, 
when my my grandma died uh, last year, and somebody was telling me about when their grandma died, and it just was like they grew up with them in the same house, and they talked to them every day, and they had a very close and intimate and lifelong relationship with their grandma. And as much as I love and miss my grandma, my feelings of regret and remorse are that I didn't have that, that I didn't talk to her enough. So it was very much the opposite of how I was feeling. And it did not, uh, it did not help. It reinforced my guilt. And um, same with, you know, when I had a dog die, I felt like I had given him a bad life and I'd been a bad dog owner. So touching stories of dog ownership did not ease my pain in that regard. And I think the thing we all forget is everyone's pain and relationship is unique. And the only way that we're ever going to know close to what you're feeling is through you telling us, not through our conjecture about similar situations. Like You sharing art and sharing your writing and f- sharing your feelings about these matters, that's the portal into your psyche. That's the only way that we're ever going to be close to knowing what this is. Yeah. Do you feel like for you, whether it be death or just the exit from your life, um, do you feel like there's a specific way you choose to display your feelings and your grief? I'm a crier for sure. I'm a big crier, but I also... I definitely write in mourning. I write poetry when I'm extremely sad. I write my best poetry when I'm sad, actually. But I think I go on verbal tirades. I'm a big monologuist um, about any topic that excites me or elicits strong reaction. And when it comes to death, when it comes to mourning, when it comes to hurt, I am limitlessly fluent in my outrage and my anger and my pain but the depths of my sorrow are hard like when I'm really really sad I can't talk about that um when I'm hurt when I'm upset yeah that's real easy I can just shit talk whoever but I think you're eloquent as fuck when you shit talk yeah I'm I'm big on shit talking I'm really big on it when I'm mad I'm mad and when I'm I'm mad, I'm a dick. <laughs> For me, I'm like, but what, what, why? Whereas like I'm that's like, literally. Oh, you want to hurt me? Great! For every one cut, I'll shoot you six times. <laughs> Here are bullet points on why you're an awful human being. Want to go there? You want to go there? <laughs> God help me if I ever cross you. I don't have a pre-prepared list for you like I do with most people. So it'd be a little more rambly. I'd be reaching for it. <laughs> Grasping for those straws, which are organized nicely by color. <laughs> so there is some organization. Number one, that haircut. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's kind of grown out. It's kind of grown out. This is this is what happens when I don't get a haircut in like two months. How has your months. writing been since uh, you've been going through all this? Has it come in fits and bursts, or has it been like a daily sort of prayer routine? Like what what has this done to your process and to your opinions of your own writing and to what you want to write next and what you've written before? Like how are you looking at the, the work at this moment? It's not stable. <laughs> um. So there are times when I am sad that I think if it's like a consistent sadness or a consistent frustration, I'm a consistent writer. But the sadness and frustration and everything for this has not been consistent. I had like really bad writer's block from basically Christmas on uh, to New Year's. And then New Year's I got this like fit of like like writing a ton. 
and then and like coming up with ideas like screenplay ideas and story ideas and all this stuff and nothing fully fleshed out but like all these thoughts came like rushing and then for the last like two weeks I'll like write here and there but it's just not been anything consistent and then well be like yesterday and today all of a sudden it's just been like it's just been a lot more and I've definitely like struggled here and there with things and just I delete a lot that I write when I'm uh, super emotional because it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like it's an honoring thing it feels trashy is a weird word to use but it doesn't make me feel good are there kernels in there like, do you find bits or pieces yeah, in that writing that, that there are. you are happy with? I think in my sadness or in my in my passion for something, even if it's nonsensical, some of my best lines uh, come from that. Like, there's a poem I wrote over two years ago now, and I'm talking about basically something burning me on the inside and I think it was like from tendon to temple or something like that there's this line though that I was just like fuck like that's a really good line and uh and I I altered it a lot but it was something that came from a lot of passion and sadness and confusion at that time and then phantom limb to this day is still one of my favorite things that I've written and it came out in like five minutes and like I altered it a lot after the fact but the the word usage felt right for me there's just certain things that I've written like but then there's also like my poem that I wrote about depression that's like a page and a half long that I wrote like two and a half years ago but it took a long time but it was this whole process of me grasping with depression and understanding what that meant for me and feeling like it was chasing me and panicking about it finding me and like all of the stuff and trying to capture that and that was sort of one of those things that I'm really proud of that poem in a lot of ways but I also think it's such a it's a in certain ways it also feels very jumbled to me um because it came out of this like panic and fear and everything but there are some lines there that I'm like I I loved the through lines and it's one of the things I've worked hardest on and so I'd say there's some really solid things I've written. I'm in, currently, if, <laughs> you you know this, but other people might, on our, our blog, I'm currently writing a series, which is very unlike me. Yours, you're the series guy. You do the epic poems. But I'm, <laughs> you, you looked like you were going to say something. There. I did. I, I was about to say, I attempt epic poetry. I... I I I realized in my last attempt that a weekly schedule for something like that is probably not what I need. What I need is a month to just do it and then worry about it later. Yeah, and then but just anyways. Yeah, no, I get that. Well, I'm writing a series of poems about grief now. I like it. I've liked it thus well, far. They're hard, but um and, and it's different parts of the grieving process, the silence in like an apartment or the changing a routine to not have someone in it or allowing disease to take over your body. And I, I, it's going to be a lot of different things. There's a lot of things that are going on, but I think it's I think it's five or six parts, but I'm on three right now. The fallout of grief is something that is hard because it is it's more than the the massive loss it is the little things like you were talking about with uh being quiet coming into bed and that stuff like that like i cannot like i i understand to some extent why it must be so hard for widows and widowers because a person you share of the majority of your life with is gone especially if you're say retired and you share everything it's like your everything has been upended it, the the loss of that life has been the loss of the life you had um and i'm sure with the dogs it's similar in that like your routine your life is fundamentally altered now yeah i mean like it's almost like a breakup when you like come home to a person and then they're not there i mean it could be death it could be a breakup it could be what have you but 
it is this idea of like changing your mode of thinking like oh i can't text that person or oh like i'm coming home and it's silent um like that kind of stuff it's 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 tricky it's hard but there's a lot of free time that i twiddle my thumbs and don't write do you feel like you're a better writer when you grieve do you feel like it comes steadily or do you think it's you have to like unblock a dam I don't think I'm a better writer. I think I'm a more willing writer. I'm a less judgmental writer. I'm more of a, I guess when I'm truly in the throes of sorrow over something, I am more willing to turn to writing as a tonic and writing as medicine. Um, And I'm way less critical of it on first pass. And I just use it for what it, has been at these hard points of my life, which is a friend, a a tool, um, a sort of constant companion that can help me when I am truly lost. I can find my way out with language. Um, but I'm I'm my best writer, I think, when I'm a little depressed and a little angry and fiercely optimistic all at the same time. That's when I'm most happy with my stuff, and that's when it's the most useful to me as far as career stuff goes. But I think my writing, the writing itself is the most essential to me as a person when I'm truly devastated. That's when it means the most that I am writing. Not that the writing is better or worse or publishable or whatever but i think the the act of writing the act of creating has the most meaning for me when i am wrecked is it bad when you use the term tonic i was like oh it's like a mixer (laughs) um no i agree though i agree though that's that's similar i think for me it's a similar combo for the best writing the best times i'm a writer I need I think it's less about depression and more about like I need to be a little bit sad but I also need to really feel like I need to prove myself. And I can write well as a happy person and it's consistent. I just don't think the passion that I like from my writing at times. Honestly, honestly the last like week what all I've really wanted to do is like go and see movies, which I have a movie pass now. This podcast not sponsored by Movie Pass, but it makes the movie review part of our podcast much easier now. As a quick aside, what have you watched on your movie pass thus far? Absolutely nothing because I got it on Thursday and my friend came in on Friday. And your friend didn't want to see a movie? Some friend. Well, she didn't want to pay for a movie. <laughs> no, uh I am hoping to go to a movie tomorrow night and see The Post, most likely. I'll I'll see The Post. Well, I have to see The Post now. Well, I can see The Post now or this weekend or next week Um, because that's going to be our next movie review. But but I want to see – I think my plan is the next few movies are going to be The Post, um, Phantom Thread, and then Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Because last week, I I was going to jokingly have this be my recommendation. Last week, I I audiobooked all three of them, and so I was like, well, obviously now I've got to go see it, but I also need to see the first two. Um, uh, the first one's so fun. those are. First one's an enjoyable I, I started it last night. Um, if you've read the books, it's very frustrating. <laughs> not sure. to be like that asshole. It's like, well, but it's like, I don't, I'm not invested in the books. And I'm not invested in the movie. There are parts that I get why they're happening because it's like plot. It makes more sense. But there's also other things where I'm like, that's weird. Um, but no, I mean, it was like, it was a ridiculous read. And like the first one, it was like, oh, that took like four days. And the next one took like two days. And the next one was like one day. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm over this now. But I'm out. Uh, yeah, but so those those are my first few that I'm going to do. Uh, 
yeah nice um yeah and then i think i'll 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 probably find like pitch perfect three or some shit and like just enjoy crappy film with rebel wilson making way too many fat jokes Woo! Woo! uh what have your movies been um on the past i've seen i tanya um, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy. That's another one I'm going to watch before our Oscar pod. I uh, saw Three Billboards, which was great. Um, I've seen Three Billboards, but I saw a screener. Uh, ooh. Um, and then I saw The Post, and I also saw The Greatest Showman. So I have no interest in saying The Greatest Showman. The soundtrack is worth your time. The movie is... A rushed, kind of pretty. I I I don't have a lot of good things to say about the film itself. The script is a goddamn disaster, but uh, the production quality is. I'm not surprised. Um, but yeah, I really want to go see Savages with uh, Christian Bale and Rosamund Pike. It's coming out. It's Ooh, Western yeah. looks really interesting. Have you have you seen Lady Bird yet? No, I missed my chance. Oh, is it not there anymore? No, it was here for two weekends. Montana's kind of that way. Uh, but yes, yeah, so... Oh, I also want to go see The Commuter, just because. It's Liam Neeson, and it's free. So I'll go see The Commuter some afternoon. I have a certain set of skills, and I think I can figure something out on this commuter train. I wish that someone would recut that with uh, clips from Thomas the Tank Engine. I, I would really appreciate that. Percy. God, what a dick Percy, Percy was. What a fuck. I'm very excited, though, for us to have a movie pass and also for our Oscar podcast, which isn't next one, but the one after, I think. The Oscars are in March, so we got time. We really don't because this podcast is coming out in February. Is it? It's the 31st of January right now. There's no more January. You're right. It's the end of our Um, January. So we got this one. Then we got the post. Then we got the Oscars, like right when the Oscars happen. Sorry, ladies and gents. This is our last writing podcast for February. This is what happens. Oh, no shit. We got Black Panther. Yeah, and in... Oh, yeah, we do. We're doing, like, extra podcasts this month. I forgot about that. We're doing, like, three or four for February, and then it's going to be a quieter March, I think. Yeah, we'll talk. We have so much to do. We'll figure it out. I mean, we have an actual schedule. Guys, it may not sound like it, but we actually have a schedule for our podcasting. We're so organized this year. Thanks to our Panda Planners. Sponsored by Panda. But yeah, thanks to our Panda Planners and our Movie Pass, this year will be the best one yet. Wow, that there's this the, podcast took a turn. There's you, the ad read. <laughs> you know, yeah, there are non-existent ad money. I'm just, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it for you. Um, but speaking of, of changing pace, you know what? I may have been a non-consistent writer this month, but you know who hasn't, ladies and gentlemen? This guy right here, Daniel Crary. He has not. He's been consistent with me, and God love him because I needed one consistent thing in my life this month, and and him being my writing partner was it. So I am thankful for you for the month of January. You're actually on my, in my panda planner as something I'm grateful for. Aw, I've said that about you in my panda planner. Panda planners are great. Everyone buy one. They're only good for half a year, but they're awesome. So I would love it if you would read me a poem or or a screenplay or whatever. I and was, was going to do, uh, do part of a play that I wrote, um, but it is, it's real inside baseball. It's a play about supervillains, so it's... Oof. That sounds fucking awesome, first off. Can and I, I, would really can like I tell you, you the title? Yeah. Men in Glass Boxes. Because of the trope of capturing the bad guy, and he's always in like a clear and they're always container. like yep. like Loki or Magneto or something. Um, so Dan, tell me a poem, maybe not about men in glass boxes. This poem is called Crucible. Red sand spilled down a chimney with care. 
The smokestack and cedar chips ain't for smoking ribs. Rippling flames will help cut some long pork with ease, enough to feed a village. Blooms from ash, beads uncovered in the filth and decay, strung together as some crude finery from a gone time. Stacked back together, like a deck before the river card gets turned. All hands pulling their weight. Flames caged behind bars we open twice a day for feeding. It paces and licks the walls until the gate opens first thing in the morn. No lunging, but a play bow, ready to take a saddle for the work demanded. Toil under a velvet yoke. Heat ends the smoldering inception with a new covenant. Timid groom and a dancing bride ooze into each other with unnatural ease. Hands and eyes that have met so often before seem countersunk as inlays now, flesh forever, atomically aligned. Rough-hewn monolith arises from lights flickering into darkness. Still obsidian law cements into the foundations of wild and terrified time. Black itself bows to the will that is loosed back unto the savagery that birthed it, casting shadows still over night. Hammer blows into the flesh, drawing out new form. Lines unseen in nature or known proofs are scribed across cold, cold canvas. Euclidean, yet expressionist strokes spark from an instrument not heard in concert halls, yet playing a symphony in C. Shavings scraped from a face until a pile gathers. Ants congregating enough to carry a whole rabbit back to the colony to feast. Horde providing conquest and gossip to engorge and entertain the endless masses, growing faster than their dying. Collars and sleeves fitted to enforce and protect and finish. Debutantes. Mouths go slack as the assembled ensemble descends to the scene. Orpheus armed with more than a lyre that glints while strumming flats and sharps, deafening death with a single stroke. So I was following along with you, but then at a certain point I kind of stopped because I was like, it's just better when he says it. Stop. So I won't go full into this poem. I mean, I love this poem. I remember when you sent it because this poem is actually available on our our Tumblr blog, uh, and which is called. I remember seeing it. In, Everything's an island, and you can also go to com. the <laughs> And you can also go to Tales from Tuesday. We we we. Uh, we retweet from Tales from Two Cities all of our poems, so you can check them out there. I think it's like actually International Poetry Day or something like that. So yay, apt. So when I first opened the file for this poem, I would, my first response was, "Well, fuck." But then, uh, just because you know editing purposes, I was like, "I was not planning on this," but I one didn't have to edit a thing. Thanks for that. But also. I really love this poem. I love any poem that brings in obsidian as a word and also talking about Euclid because fuck, that's how I learned my math. What, what? But I uh, I think the thing I liked about this is const- very a lot of times when I read poems, 
um, I hear kind of my own internal monologue about it or I like start thinking about other things or relating it to something else. I didn't relate this poem to anything else, but in my mind, I kept picturing a log in a fireplace or fire pit, did not matter, but like that area where the log chars and then it's like you can see inside it and it's like glowing ember. And that image was just, and it wasn't like on fire, but it was just like this this charcoal piece of wood with with this glowing innard. And that's like all I thought the entire time I was reading this. Like that's what I pictured. And I know that there are so many other things that go on in this, but you painted this picture in my head that I'm not sure you intended to, but it was just there. And it was fascinating the effect it had on me and just the the sensory memory it brought up for me like just of fireplaces of of going and getting food at a uh, or like fire pits or conversations or watching a fire which uh, growing up in montana like even if you don't go camping like there's always someone with a fucking fire pit and you have those late night conversations with your beers and you're just like walking around but for me i always was so captivated by fire i'm a pyromaniac but um i i loved that memory and it brought so many sensory memories without it being about anything that i've ever experienced and that's not something like your poems have evoked so many feelings in me in various ways and your writing has brought out so many emotions but this was the first time that there was just this image this memory and it was it was it was a manufactured memory for me like it wasn't a specific thing that ever had happened to me it was just this one image that it brought about and i was sort of fascinated by the effect and it happened again while you were reading and so I was just like, well, fuck, dude. Well, thank you. That uh, that means a lot. You're, the image you're calling up is a part of the, the imagery I was working from. So that, uh, that tells me this first iteration is on the right track. So I appreciate that. Well, and I don't mean to simplify no, it. Like no, it's, no. There's I'm so not, much to it. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you are. I truly mean thank, thank you because that means um, I'm... A writer. I guess. I've always been really fascinated with um, weapons. And so each stanza of this, the first line specifically, relates to a portion in the process of forging a sword from iron ore to finished weapon. Um, so that's what this is. A, it's not necessarily about, but that's what prompted each stanza. And I just kind of used it as a springboard to open up my own uh, thoughts that are infinitely wound into self-improvement and refining and destruction and rebirth and change. Because the big, because the thing that I find so fascinating about forging swords, specifically in traditional techniques, is it's not just melting something and then making something sharp out of it. When you forge a weapon properly in modern, with relatively modern techniques, you are actually realigning the atoms of the substance. It's an act of creation that is a fundamental transformation of the thing. On, on its most basic level that we can perceive, the thing has changed. And I think for myself, that's always been a really beautiful metaphor of personal change and development and the world changing and uh yeah so that's that's where that whole spiel came from i love it because that's not something i know anything really about but i was still able to read that poem and take something and feel something really strong and nostalgic about it so, I mean, that's a beautiful thing about poems is you can choose to take lines from it and draw from it what you want or what 
is familiar to you. And this poem is a great example because I think sometimes that's uh, that's something I struggle with is my poems often it's like there's not like a deliberation on what it's about. It's like obviously about something. And so this is a beautiful example of a poem that can be many things to many people. So well done, Dan. Thank you. I really love I love reading your poetry, and so I I was actually really really stoked when you brought this one up because I was like I have a lot of things to share with him that I haven't actually talked to him about. Aww, thank that was you. sort of the great thing about it was I've been wanting to talk to you about things, but I'm also a shit human who isn't a great communicator You're when they're sad. Not a shit. Human. I'm an old I'm an old passive aggressive sweetheart. <laughs> uh, My hmm. old passive aggressive sweetheart. <laughs> I like that. In case you haven't noticed, I keep looking behind to make sure my dog didn't die. Because, like, do you see her back here? I do. Oh, she just popped her head up and was like, bitch, I'm still here. She, she, like, snores occasionally, but when she gets quiet, then I'm like, Uh you cool, bro? So, Dan... Do you have any recommendations for me? I do, and I'm really excited about it. It Tell me that. I hope it's not what I have. Software. It's available in the App Store, and it's called Highland. H I G H L A N D. And Highland. So exactly how it sounds. <laughs> is a screenwriting software, but the thing that's special about Highland is, um, if you've ever used Final Cut, or, um, I'm sorry, Final Draft, or um, Fade In or any of the major screenwriting softwares, they suck because you have to tell the damn processor what every line is. Is this a screen? Is this a scene header? Is this a character name? Is this dialogue? Is this description? So Highland simplifies the shit out of that where you kind of just write. It's beautifully designed by... um, John August created it, who's a screenwriter and the host of one of my favorite podcasts, two of them, Launch, which is about his uh, the process of getting his first uh, novel published. It's fantastic. But also Script Notes, which I've mentioned before on this show. Um, but it uses um, fountain text, which instead of having all the weird margins that uh most screenwriting software puts in, but you have to select in order for it to apply those things. You just write. No margins, no no fuckery. And it translates your plain writing into screenwriting format. So it's versus, say, f- uh, Final Draft is about 100 bucks. This thing is $29.99 on the App Store. It's $30.00. And it's. I cannot find it as I'm searching it. Um, I would go to. Uh, I will. I will send you the link. Thank you. Please do. Yeah. Because um, I was like looking for it, and it's like Highlands Community College. I'm like, that's not what I want. Yeah, you have to search Highlands Screenwriting or go to um, quote unquote apps.com. They are the makers of it. But it was developed in partnership with them by a professional screenwriter whose credits include Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Frank and Weenie, uh, basically a lot of stuff for Tim Burton. Um, but it's about to make a comment about that. <laughs> but uh, I just downloaded it today and was messing around with it a little. It's brilliant. It's great. Um, well, that's exciting considering I need to get some screenwriting. I then. was. This is exactly why I'm recommending it to you. Don't fuck around with any other program. Don't waste your time do this thing it's so much easier <laughs> so much simpler well thank you daniel how's about you i appreciate that what do you recommend to um, me? i recommend the uh, maze runner trilogy no i recommend uh purity by jonathan franzen i know i have already recommended a book by jonathan franzen but dude writes compelling characters huge novels but so many like so i just recently read uh by the author of girl on the train into the water and i was so excited and i was like yeah but she has like 12 main characters all of whom do narration and it's not that long a book 
And it's just like, too much. Too much, lady. Quit it, Hawkins. Stop. And like, none of them are likable. And like, that's, that's human, the human, like, element to everything. But it was just, like, I give it a three out of five on Goodreads. Um, Because that's my, like, go-to when I don't want to say, like, I hated it, but I also didn't really like it. But Jonathan Franzen, the thing he does is he creates these really compelling characters, but he gives them time. And yes, they are weighty novels, but you feel compassion and frustration with every character, but it's not that they're all unlikable. It's not that they're all amazing. They're just, they're figuring themselves out as you're figuring them out. And that's being a human being. And so I'm... I just couldn't recommend him enough. And I know I make fun of like, I need to talk to you about Patty, but I do need to talk to you about Patty. He he is a great writer. And if you can dedicate the time or the audiobook energy, like it's worth your time. But yeah, Purity by Jonathan Franzen. I think it's his newest novel. I think it came out in 2016 or 17. But yeah, I'm, I, I really would like to talk to you about his, the creation of the world's. Uh, in his brain because they're pretty great and he might be my new favorite author mm, i think I it's possible like his books are really really good it's like with andy weir where i just get into the world he creates and it's entertaining and interesting and i'm compelled by the characters um and i mean of course i only speak of the martian because i'm like in chapter two of artemis but for that but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan these days and his books are big. And so unfortunately, I'm like not they're not ones that I can just be like, oh, well, I'm just going to reread this Jonathan Franzen. But I love him. I will take it under advisory. Into consideration. I think advisement. Come see, come saw. Uh, so yeah, that's my that's my recommendation. I'm just gonna keep recommending books for you, even though I know it's easier for you to do a TV show or movie. True, but Ladybird mostly because of the I recommend Ladybird element. My wife and I have tried reading a book at the same time, and it's hard because she reads faster than I do. So she's trying to turn the page, and I'm still on this page, and so we we more easily watch TV or movies together. So that's true, and I mean I think that's that's a that's a beautiful thing. What you need is just to make it a competition because then I know you and I know you will you will reach that task with with flying colors. Possibly. But for our for our next accomplishment, for our next feat, we're just going to review the shit out of a couple of movies. We're going to do some Black Panther. We're going to do some post. And then we're going to talk to you about the Oscars until you're disgusted by the whole damn circus. Man, how long do we think that the Oscars pod is going to be this year? I don't know. I plan on going on some political grandstanding for a while in the middle of it, because if we're going to talk about the Oscars. <laughs> we're going to obviously talk about a few movements going on and uh, what that means. Have you heard about, I'm sure you've heard, ah, dumb of me to say, of course you've heard about Casey Affleck not presenting Best Actress. Yes, yes, I have, because that would just be a terrible idea. Yeah, I'm curious who uh, have uh, who are they going to choose to do it then? I don't know if they've Warren Beatty and, and Faye Dunaway because that went really well last time, right? <laughs> Poor Warren Beatty. I mean, he really he got saddled in on a a sinking ship there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The SS La La yeah. Land. Yeah, but Jimmy Kimmel going for for round two on that. Stupid ABC. We need to prop up our late night guy. Like, come on, get Billy Crystal back in there. I like him. I I have to say, I I think my favorite Oscars ha- were like early two thousands, late nineties Billy Crystal. I think I think like it's hard to beat uh, Seth MacFarlane though. I really liked Seth MacFarlane. I don't really remember Seth MacFarlane's. It was offensive. I uh, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think my issue is I don't really like Seth MacFarlane. Fair. That that would that would hinder that. That would hinder your enjoyment. Yeah, but I, I think Jimmy Kimmel, as much as like I'm not like he's not 
exhausted to me the way like Jimmy Fallon is or Seth Meyers. But I'm also just, and I think he makes some really good points. Like I think he's gotten a little more political, especially revolving around like child health care because of his son. But, and I think he does a really good job, but I like him more in like the, the, uh, the step, step down Emmys, Golden Globes kind of ones where he can just be a little sillier, bring in his buddies. But he's friends with so many people. So it, he does he does have the connections that can make for a really enjoyable as long one. As, have you seen as the long trailer? As he makes fun of, uh, you know, Matt Damon. I'll walk away happy. Yeah, I do love that. I, I have to say the trailer for the Oscars was pretty funny, though. Like, I, I got a kick out of it, him talking to Warren Beatty. <laughs> and then at the end, if you listen, he's like, wait, there's no door. Go out the window. <laughs> like, that's just like the end of it. I was like, okay. All right. Why not? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about the post with you in, in a very soon amount of time. Very soon. And then, talk, and then talk to you about Black Panther, which I think will probably be my... Maybe not my Valentine's Day plan. I think it's the day after Valentine's Day that I can watch it. But like, nice. you know, one a, a, a day yeah. that around then. Yeah. Treat it's, myself it's to a up. film. Coming a up. A film. Okay. Well, uh, until next time, I'll uh, I'll catch you on the flippity flop. Good night and keep writing. That was better. Slow Claps and Rewrites is effortlessly produced by Daniel Crary and Adair Rice. Editing is executed by Daniel Crary to the best of his abilities. Slow Claps and Rewrites is a volume in the Secret Weapon Productions Library. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved in perpetuity. Like Mickey Mouse.